Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the best day of the week. Hope you think that. It should be. We spend our time together. We have so much fun lifting up our voices to God and hearing Him speak through His Word. There's no better time than this. We don't laugh a lot, which is okay, because we're worshiping God and so we're serious. But even though there's not a lot of laughter, we could, we could be cutting up the whole time. Pastor could be up here telling jokes on Sunday. He wouldn't be good at it. He's just not that kind of guy. Um, but the joy within is so much better than the flippant fun of this world. It's a joy to be able to worship together this morning. So we're in Second Peter chapter 2. And let's read verses, actually let's start in verse 7. We'll be looking at verses 9 and 10 this morning, but just to get the flow, let's look at verse 7. Oh rats, let's just start at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, that's speaking of Christ, of course, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he's speaking here, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, a number of months ago. Christ is a cornerstone. He's the, like the boulder in the middle of the road that no one can get past. You have to make a choice when it comes to this stone. You either accept him, you either bow before him, you either trust him, uh, repent of your sins, and trust in this stone, or there will be ramifications later. You, you, there's, there's a decision made. Either believe or do not believe. So he's addressing that. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a cornerstone. This is, of course, an Old Testament um, uh, text. The cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, this stone will not be put to shame. For the honor is for you who believe. And now he changes. But for those who do not believe, for those who are Christians, to those who bow the knee, to those who run to Christ and are saved, there is honor. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And for those who do not believe, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Those who do not believe in Christ will trip over him, is the idea. And when you look at the context of all Scripture, trip over him and fall into eternal judgment. They stumble... Because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. So he's speaking of unbelievers there. Now verse 9, but you, and the you is strong. Actually, the you is the first word in the sentence. Because he's making a very strong contrast. But you, in contrast to those who do not believe, you are different. And the, and the things he's talking about now apply to believers and not to unbelievers. You, as opposed to those who, who stumble over Christ the rock and who disobey him, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
The student edition of the Webster's uh, New World Dictionary provides five definitions of the word church. Uh, the, word, the word church is used of a building. Let's go decorate the church for Christmas. It's used uh, public worship. I enjoyed church today. It's used of a particular denomination of Christians. Uh, I, my church is the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church. Church, it speaks of church government sometimes. I believe in separation of church and state. And also refers to a group, a group of worshipers. Church, local church family. There's another definition that the, the dictionary does not provide. And that is the idea that, uh, the biblical idea uh, of the universal body of Christ. There is such a thing as local churches, of course. There's also a universal body of Christ the church as a whole, uh, uh, encompassing all believers in this dispensation. Regardless of what church someone attends, anyone who is a Christian is part of the body of Christ. Anyone who is a Christian in this dispensation is part of the universal body, uh, the universal church. Of course, the universal church has, has no pastors, no deacons, no accountability structures, uh, no places of worship, no ministries. In contrast to local churches, Peter uses uh, Old Testament terminology here to describe this universal church. Local churches are visible representations of the larger church. Now this text is speaking primarily to the, of the universal church. The, the church as a whole is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim his excellencies. That's what the church is to do. But let's remember this particular book, of course, was written to local churches. According to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, churches of a dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So Paul's, so, so Peter is writing local church bodies just like ours. And so because local churches are a visible representation of the body of Christ of the universal church, and because he's writing uh, individual churches, we're going to apply this text today to us as a local church. Now the primary application is to all believers in the church, all believers, all those who trust who know Christ. But for our purposes this morning, because he's addressing local churches, we're going to apply what we see here to us. Because it does apply to us. He tells us in this text what we are before God. And some amazing terminology is used. He tells us what our God-given responsibilities are as a church in Marshall, in this, in this world. He also, at the very end, tells us what God has done for us as a church. The bottom line is, Grace Baptist Church is a family of God's chosen servants. We are a family of God's chosen servants who are blessed in astronomical, um, indescribable ways. Let's pray and we'll look at this text this morning. Thank you, Father, for this portion of your word. It is wonderful. There's so many wonderful truths here that we could spend hours and hours considering. We could spend weeks and weeks mulling over to try to grasp the depths of what's here. 
In the short time we are together this morning, help us to at least grasp a little that we might consider further as we leave today and throughout this week how, you do, how we are described here and the blessings that we have in you and the mission that we have as a church. Bless our time, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter answers three, three questions in this text. First, what is our church? What is our church before God? As, as we stand as a, a congregation before God, how does he see us? Now again, notice verse, verse 9. You, he's con- and the, the, by the way, this is a plural. You all, you, you in the church, our church, in contrast to those who are unbelievers, we are first of all a chosen race. The word race here, by the way, interesting term. It speaks of descendants of a common ancestor, someone, uh, people of the same nation, people connected by birth and blood. This term speaks normally of, of biological family. Now, there are some people in our congregation who are related to one another. Evie is our granddaughter. She's so sweet. Asa is one of our grandsons. He's so sweet. You know, we, we have blood relations in this church family. But Peter's not using the terminology that way here. We are a chosen race. He's using that term that normally speaks of biology. He's speaking now of the fact that we are spiritual relation. He's saying that we are connected not by physical birth or blood, but by spiritual birth. Each one of us here are all born again. Those of us who trusted Christ were born again into the family of God. And so we share this common, uh, this common beginning. We are connected by this same heritage. Our spiritual lives began the same way. And that means that there should be a, a familiness here. There should be a closeness, a camaraderie, a bond. I'm wondering how, how we care for one another. When you look around the room, do you see people? And I'm, I'm convicted of this. Sometimes I look around the room and I see people. I should see family. Uh, my wife and I, I know you're the same way. Uh, all of you are the same way. Whenever we pray, it seems like whenever we pray, we always pray for our family. We're just wired that way. Even if we're praying about anything else, Somehow we're going to tack on, please, Father, work in our, our children's lives today, our grandchildren's lives. Please save those who need Christ. Please sanctify those who are your children. Even if we're praying about anything, we can spend five minutes praying about something else we're very focused on. But no matter what, we're going to tack on family. Why? Because we absolutely love our family. We love our kids and our grandkids. We even like each other, so we pray for each other. This is how it works, right? Do we do that here? When you look around, do you see people, just merely people? I know him and her, they work such and such a place. Or do you see family? Do we think of each other as, as uniquely brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we treat one another in this room as family? Do we care for one another? Do we encourage and uplift one another? Do we pray for one another? Take your, I encourage you, take your church directory and stick it on top of your Bible. 
And as you're reading your Bible throughout the week, pick up that directory and pray for a page. Every day, pray for a different page. If you've got extra time, pray for the whole thing. Because we're a family. Now, he says here, chosen family, chosen race. This indicates to us that we are in Christ today because God took the initiative. God chose you to be his child today. God chose to put each one of us in his family by his grace and mercy and kindness. It also indicates God chose us to be in this family. You're in this family. If you remember here, if you know Christ and you love Christ and you're part of this family, how did that happen? You just tripped one day and fell into this church family. It's all by accident. It's all just happenstance. Just just toss a coin in the air. No. God worked out circumstances in such a way that you're, you're chosen to be his and chosen to be in this family. God put you here. God put all of us here to care for one another, to minister to one another, to serve one another, to lift up our voices together. In this congregational choir, last Sunday we had a choir up here. And I don't know if it affected you. you. You heard singing kind of at you. And we did the same thing. And it was nice. We're up here and you're singing kind of at us. It's nice. God stuck you. For those of us in the choir, God stuck you in the choir. I don't know how to say that, but yeah, God stuck you there. And for the rest of you who are out there, in the, co- the rest of the congregational choir, God stuck you, you know what I mean by that, in that choir. And it was wonderful. You didn't just trip and somehow land in this church. If you're here, it's not by accident. There are no accidents. God, in his grace and kindness, put you here for your good, for your growth, and, and also for your ministry to others. There's a certain place, you, a way that you fit into this, into this congregation that you are blessed and encouraged and that you are a blesser and an encourager to others. Never think in terms of, I'm here for what I get. Certainly we get. But you're also here to give. So let's look around a little more than we are maybe and start giving, being more involved in people's lives. I think some of us would have a heart attack if another one of us walked up and said, how can I pray for you today? Wow. I'll tell you how you can pray for me today. How often have you done that in the last month? Walked up to someone here. How can, and without getting in, you know, without getting too deeply into people's lives, share everything in your life with me right now. That's not what we're talking about. How can I pray for you? What's going on right now? Just one or two things. And then if, if, you're, if, you're, if your brain can maintain it, Keep it up there. If you're like me and your brain can't, write it down. And then stick that piece of paper into your directory. And when you're praying through the directory, you pray for specifics relating to people. Secondly, we are God's royal priesthood, he says. In verse 5, he calls us a holy priesthood. Here he calls us a royal priesthood. Priests, of course, were those who offer sacrifices as part of God's worship. Now, we don't offer animal sacrifices today. I hope you're not doing that in your backyard. It really doesn't work. 
you're not called to do that. We don't offer those kinds of sacrifices anymore, but it's interesting, the New Testament speaks in other places of the kinds of sacrifices that we offer to God. Let me just mention a couple of them. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, speaks of offering our bodies, our lives to the Lord as a spiritual sacrifice. It says, therefore, this is Paul, Romans 12, 1. You know this text probably. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, brothers, in the church of Rome. He's talking to a local church. So there's application for us. I urge you, brothers, in this church family, not the one in Rome, but here in Marshall, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done for you, how he's cared for you, how he loves you, how he saved you, in view of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, we're going to look at some other areas where we give sacrifices to God as well. But this is kind of the umbrella. Offer your Bodies as living sacrifices. Now, when he says bodies, he's referring to your, our lives. Give your life up for God, to serve God. This is your spiritual act of worship, he says. Holy, pleasing to God. The implication, of course, is our lives are not our own. To do it as we please. We give our lives to God. In view of his mercy, Paul says. In view of God's mercy, do this. What has God done for us? We could spend all day just talking. The physical, earthly, material blessings. And then put those aside, because they're really nothing, compared to the spiritual blessings. In view of all those mercies, give your life to God. That's one area of sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2 speaks of serving the Lord. Paul speaks of serving the Lord as a, as a spiritual sacrifice. He says in chapter 2, verse 17, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, this is an Old Testament reference, even if I'm being, being, being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming for your faith, I'm glad and rejoice for you all. He's saying, he's saying my service to you is like an offering to God. When we minister to one another, we tend to think in terms of, in terms of energy expended. Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so had to move yesterday, so we spent yesterday, our church guys, moving them from A to B. I, my back is killing me. I need a chiropractor for at least a month, and it was a long day. We think in terms of uh, energy expended. We ought to think in terms of, that was a sacrifice to God. Yesterday was a sacrifice to God. In caring for, serving one, uh, uh, so-and-so spent how many hours in preparation to teach Sunday school? To the little ones or to the adults? How many hours are you spending doing that? How many books are you reading? That's a sacrifice to God. We don't think in terms of, I, I gave this many hours to teach. All I gave was time to serve God. I love serving God. It's all about that. Uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 4 speaks of our financial giving as a spiritual sacrifice. He says, I've received a full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are. The financial gifts you sent are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. If you... If, um, 
someone who's not a Christian, someone who's an acquaintance or a friend asks you, so how much do you give to church anyway? And you said, 10%, 12%, 15% of our income. My wife and I have agreed to do this much. And, that's and they would look at you and their jaw would drop, wouldn't they? They may even ask, are you crazy? You're giving 12% of your income to your church? You need to give 12% of your income to pay for a psychiatrist because I think you're nuts. What is wrong with you? No, that's how God has commanded that I give of myself. Whenever I give money, I'm actually giving my life because it took me this much time this week to earn that money. So the money, God doesn't need our money. He's got the gold. He's got the cattle. He doesn't need our money. This is part of Romans 12, giving my life. This is a, a little bit of a piece of my life because it took how many hours for you to make that amount of money? Well, it took me, you know, six hours this week to make what I just gave. Okay. That six hours is a small representation of my life that I've given to God. It's not about the money. It's never about the money. We could drill back here and find oil if God wanted that to happen. This is a sacrifice to God. So we're a company of priests. We offer our bodies, our lives, our, our personal service, our financial wealth. Uh, Paul goes on later on to talk about our verbal praise. Getting together and singing together on Sundays. By the way, that's not optional. Not everyone likes to sing. Not everyone thinks, i got a good voice, I want to sing. Some people think, I don't know if anyone here, I don't know, I don't sit and look at people as they're singing. You may think, I can't sing, so I'm not going to sing, I'm just going to listen. That's not what God wants. He wants you to lift up your voice in praise to Him. Now, folks, we, we do this, we do these things, we offer these sacrifices as individuals, but as also as part of a, a larger effort. According to this text, we are a company of priests. When we give our bodies, our lives, we're doing that as a family. We all, as a company of priests, have given our lives to God, and He can do with them whatever He wants. We all, as a family, as a company of priests, uh, give of our financial wealth, which He has given to us in the first place, give a little bit of that back for Him to use however He wants to use it in the furtherance of His purposes. We serve here in ways that are significant we do it as a family. We do it as a, a company of priests. And this person's strengths are this, and that person's strengths are that. And so we plug in together as a company of priests, and we serve God and one another. We lift up our voices in this congregational choir on Sundays as a company of priests. Some in this room can sing solos, and it's nice when they do. Most of us can't. Or maybe we should say, most of us, no one else wants to hear. So there are times when there's solo sung, and that's wonderful, but the vast majority of singing, and the way God normally would prefer it, is when his people lift up their voices together. The point is that together, we do all this together as a company of priests. Thirdly, 
We are God's set-apart community. Keep reading. He calls us a holy nation. Now, pastor mentioned in his prayer the idea of holy is set apart to God, set apart from sin, a set apart from anything common. You realize that? This church family is set apart. Here's what other organizations are doing, and what they're doing is of their own business. And what other churches may be doing, it's their own business. This church has been set apart, singled out, set apart from the common, from the secular, and from anything unholy, set apart to be used by God in this community, in Marshall, and in the surrounding areas. Now, there may be other churches that have been set apart by God in Marshall, too, and we hope so. The more good churches are serving God in our community, the better. We should always want more, not less. We don't want to be, well, we want to be the only good church in town. No, we want to be one of many. Because we want to see Marshall and Albion and all these other little areas reach for Christ. The word nation here is really interesting. We saw the word race earlier that refers to you know biology connected by birth, and we're connected by the new birth This word nation refers to a community of people held together by the same laws, customs, and mutual interests. Like we are citizens of the United States. We're held together under the same laws, uh, similar interests, similar customs. If you you travel around the world, you'll see people with very different customs, governed by very different laws. Well, this term speaks of, of people governed by certain laws and connected by custom and so forth. That's used of us. People governed by the same laws, held together by similar interests. Each of us has the same 66 books of the Bible. Paul calls the New Testament the law of Christ. And it has direct jurisdiction over us. The New Testament has authority over us. It governs us. As individuals and as a family, the the Bible governs us. We do what we do as a church because the Bible tells us to do those things. We don't do many things as a church because the Bible doesn't give us the option of doing those things. It governs who we are, what we are. Not just, go, not just connected by laws, but by common interests. We should have the same common interests. What would that be? We want to glorify God. That's the thread there. What's our common goal? Not to make money. To have power. Prestige. I want people to know who I am. I want everyone to like me. I want to glorify God. Well, you're probably not going to have prestige. Not everyone's going to like you. You probably won't make a lot of money and have much power. It doesn't matter. Our common interest is we want to glorify God. You know, what we really want as a church family, at the end of our lives as individuals, as we're lying there in our deathbed, as it were, 
Go and look back and say, my life was valuable. So if your life was about cars, I had really cool cars. My first car was a, a Chevelle, and that baby could squeal. And my next car was this, and then I got this. And you look back at your life at a bunch of cars. Where are all those cars when you're in that bed? Most of them are in the junkyard. You focused on that your whole life? That wasn't a real wise focus, because they're in the junkyard. What about cell phones? I got a new cell phone. So cool. It does this. It cooks dinner. That'd be the next thing. It cooks dinner for me. You know, I mean, they're just going to find ways. They'll do everything. So you're on your deathbed, and you're looking back. I had a succession of the coolest cell phones you've ever seen. Everyone was a little better than the the one before. That's what you're going to do? Well, that's a wasted life. But it's amazing how excited we get over this little thing that we stick in our pocket. It's also amazing how much time we spend doing this. What a waste of time. You aren't that attractive. Sorry, maybe some of you are. I don't, most of us aren't. We want to we come to the end of our lives and go, my life was, was valuable for God. I'm taking people with me. I witnessed to this person and that person. And, that, and some of them got saved by the grace of God. They're coming with me. Your cell phone's not going with you. Your Chevelle's not going with you. We have a common interest. We want to glorify God in our lives. We want to hear, well done, faithful servant. We're also, according to this text, God's special possession. This is a wonderful phrase. We are the church, and this church, we are a people for his own possession. Just think about this. We belong to to God. That is amazing and wonderful. We're a special treasure to him. He, He loves us with a special, intimate, and everlasting love. Now remember the recipients of this letter were struggling. If you remember the the, the first Peter, these were people who were uh, their livelihoods were being threatened, their lives were being threatened. Some of them on virtually a daily basis. And so for them to hear this, you belong to God, must have been so amazing for them. Allowed them to just rest. Whatever's happening, whatever's going to happen, whether my life ends tomorrow or not, I belong to God and that's all that really matters. I get emails from a friend of mine in Myanmar every three weeks to a month. He's, one of our, he's our main contact in Myanmar. We haven't been able to go now for, what, three years, two and a half, three years, whatever it is. And he just, paragraph after paragraph, tells what's happening there. You know, Ukraine's in the news, and what's happening there is horrific. Myanmar's not in the news. And believers are being slaughtered. People are just being systematically slaughtered. Planes, helicopters with bombs, bombing out villages and towns. Uh, The military just combing the streets, gunning down whoever they want. And as I 
thought about this. And that whenever he sends me an email, I don't know what to say as he describes the horror of their situation and believers and unbelievers dying, either of COVID, because there's no care at all. You get COVID there, there's, there's no medicine. There's no hospital open. The banks are closed. You don't have any money. Many people are fleeing to the woods, and they don't have the wherewithal to survive in the woods. And he, he will recount for me what's going on, and I don't know how to respond. Dear brother, we're praying for you. We love you. Know that you belong to God. You know, I, I, can't, I really have to sit and think, what can I say to be an encouragement to my friend who's serving God? He is trying to minister to believers and unbelievers. He's got teams of people trying to minister to other, other saved and unsaved alike. And I don't know what to say. This is what I need to say right here. Brother, you belong to God. For those believers who received this letter, that must have been wonderful. And for those struggling, what more wonderful news could they get? Folks, this is important to us as well. Grace Baptist Church is special to God. He cares about us. God cares about our lives. He cares about our marriages. He cares about our families, our jobs, our ministries, our impact on this community. He is watching all of that. He cares about all of that. When things are going well, we belong to God. When things are hard, we belong to God. We're his constant focus, his perennial concern. You are his perennial concern. He watches us as individuals and as a family. Always his gaze is here. We are the apple of his eye. And when we're struggling, we need to remember that. Next question this morning. What is our church responsible to do in the world? With one little phrase, he pushes aside a lot of wrong teaching. Look at about the middle of verse 9. So you are all these things. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. That you, the church, the, the, the church of God... Universal and individual churches, that Grace Baptist Church may proclaim the excellencies of God. What is the mission of our church? Why in the world are we here? There are a lot of reasons being tossed around. Why are we here? Is our church responsible to meet people's earthly needs? Now, we do a soup kitchen ministry. We help with that. But does our church exist to feed people? I'm not going to answer. Let's let the text answer. Is our church responsible to fight disease and social ignorance in the world? Is our church, do we exist to fight social injustice and fight for racial equality? That's why we're here. Is that what the text says? Are, are we, is our church responsible to unite with other churches, regardless of their theology, to band together with other churches, regardless of their theology, good or bad, to be involved in meeting these kinds of needs. What does the text say? Why are we here? To declare his excellencies. God planted Grace Baptist Church here in Marshall to accomplish this. To declare, to make known far and wide the wonders, the perfections, the excellencies, and the glories of God. 
We exist for this express purpose, to lift up God in Marshall. That's why we're here. As individuals, that's part of why we're here. As a church family, that's why we're here. To lift up God in Marshall. Now, we may at times be involved in meeting some of the, some other people's, some individual people's needs. It's not saying we never help in certain ways. But everything we do do has to be governed by that. Does this lift up God in this community? If this activity doesn't lift up God, I when I was first say it was went to a good church. They had a, they had a softball team. It seemed like back then every church had a Christian school and a softball team. And the the guy who kind of managed and coached our team had a hothead. He was a hothead. He was the guy known for throwing the bats and all the rest of it. Getting ticked when we lost or someone, you know, threw the wrong cutoff man and they, the other team scored a run or whatever. He's the guy who got ticked. It wasn't long before it was pretty clear. This is not lifting up God. And when that happens, you know what you do? You nix the softball team. If you can't fix it, if this thing, which is... In, in theory, wonderful opportunity for guys to fellowship with one another, which is a biblical thing, fellowship, encouraging one another. Uh, if they're playing other Christians in, the, in a certain league, fellowship with other believers, other churches. Or maybe, and I've seen this happen with great success, a church's softball team uh, being in a city league. So they have opportunity to get to know and minister to unbelievers. Which, if you're going to do that, make sure your team is good. If they're terrible... That's not a great testimony. Yeah, we slaughtered those guys 20 to nothing. It was really fun. (laughs) That's not the team you want. But if the guys on the team are throwing the bats, God's not being lifted up there. Fix it or nix the team. We We don't exist to have a softball team. We exist to lift God up. So we as a church family, this is kind of like the 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 grid. Either what we're doing is lifting up God in this community, or it's not. And when it's not, we toss it out. When it is, we do it, and we do it well. There are certain things we'd like to do that maybe yet we can't do. But that thing would be lifting up God in this community. We're not quite there yet, but we may add it later. When we can, when God gives us the right people, the right skill sets. But everything we're doing as a church family goes through that grid. Does this lift up God in a right way? In Marshall. Now, lastly, last question: What has God done for our church? Now, we've just seen royal priesthood and so forth. That all, but He adds more now. He, I think He wants to motivate us to lift up God in our community. He wants to motivate us further, encourage us to to do this task of lifting up God. So He just mentions quickly. He reminds us. Of three things God has done for us. So when you're lazy, you find yourself lazy in your Christian walk. You find yourself lazy in your church ministry. I'm not doing anything right now, or much now, or my attitude is wrong now in doing what I'm doing. When you find yourself lazy in evangelistic ministry, I'm not involved in people's lives. I'm not trying to reach people for Christ. Remember these three things. I think these are motivating things. First of all, God transferred us from the sphere of wickedness into the sphere of purity, light. Notice, end of verse 9. 
you that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonders, the glories of God, the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has, when God saved you, he pulled you out of this realm of darkness. Matt actually read of this in Colossians this morning. The domain of darkness into his light. God, when he saved you, pulled you out of that realm and put you in his mercy in this realm, the realm of his light. Not that you're better than anyone, not that any of us are better than anyone else. We're not. God, in his grace, pulled us from this and in his mercy put us here. Now, before, we knew right and wrong. We knew right and wrong. This is right, this is wrong. But I like wrong. Wrong is funner than right. So I think I'm going to do wrong. Sinning is much more fun. Let's just admit sin is fun. I was stupid to say, no, I never had fun when I sinned. (laughs) Really? You're the only one. Before we knew right and wrong, we just didn't want the wrong. Or, sorry, didn't want the right, we wanted the wrong. Now that God has saved us, he's transferred us from the realm of darkness into the realm of light, into his realm, his kingdom. Not only do we know the law now, but now we have the ability to... Not only do we know the right now, we have the ability to do it. We have the desire to do it. He's transferred us. I know the right and the wrong. Now I don't want to do the wrong. I want to do the right. I want to please God. That's what God did for us as a church family. Pulled us out of that. Put us into his kingdom, into his life. Secondly, and so because of that, because he's transferred us from that realm to this, there should be a desire to lift up his name in Marshall. Secondly, God made us his special people. He says this a second time now. Once you were not a people, but now guess what you are? You are God's people. This should motivate us. We lift up God and Marshall. Why? Because we're his people. We weren't always. But now we are. And now that we're God's people, we're going to spend our lives lifting him up and declaring his excellencies in the world. Lastly, he made us recipients of his mercy. Once you had not received mercy, because we weren't deserving of mercy, by the way. But now you have received mercy. Mercy, God held back his hand of judgment, and instead of giving us what we reserved, what we deserved judgment, instead he forgave us. Because he's done that, my goodness, why aren't we lifting up his name in Marshall? Before, I was tree without mercy. I didn't deserve it. And his grace, he's given me mercy. So I'll lift up God in Marshall now. And in my neighborhood, my community, where I work. So folks, what are we as a church? What a, what a blessing. We're chosen His chosen family. We're a company of priests living sacrificial lives together for the Lord. We are a holy, set-apart community. Regardless of whatever else anyone else is doing, we are set apart to God 
just like the vessels of the temple in the Old Testament. Those vessels were used for one thing, God's worship. And you are, we are, as individuals and as a family, set apart from the normal, common stuff, the secular stuff. And we are used for one thing, His glory, His service, His worship. That's what we are to be in this world. And then lastly, we're His special possession. You are God's people. I'm looking at God's people. No matter what you're going through, whatever we're going through as a church, let's remember that. Why are we here? To lift up God in Marshall. That's why. Let's make sure we're doing that. God's transferred us from the realm of darkness, made us his special people, and been merciful. Thank you, Father, for this text and the wonderful things here for us. It does, this text deserves so much more time and energy. Help us to apply it now. Help us to understand who we are before you, what you want us to do, what you have demanded us to do, what our mission is as a church here in Marshall, Michigan. We trust that you'll be pleased by how we serve you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.